When you're born, usually you're born into a dynasty or an empire, right? I feel as though I'm cheated because instead of me fulfilling my prophecy, I have to start one. But then I thought to myself, what if this was a movie? Welcome to the Daydreaming While Black podcast. Welcome to the Daydreaming While Black podcast. As per usual, my name is Greg. Today, I have another one of my friends, Sean, who actually has his doctorate in veterinary medicine. So Sean and I will be discussing the lack of minorities in the veterinary medicine space, but also the overall lack of minorities in the healthcare space. Sean, how are you doing this afternoon? Uh, I'm doing good, Greg. How are you doing? Doing uh, good to see yeah, man. Um, so let's jump right in. Um, I guess to give our listeners a little bit of a understanding, what was your journey uh, from going from a high school student to having your doctorate in veterinary medicine? Uh, well, it's a, yeah, it's kind of been a long road, but um, I can we can go through that really quickly. Um, I got interested in veterinary medicine while in high school. Um, I went to a boarding school in California, kind of near the Santa Barbara area, uh, called Thatcher. It's in Ojai, California, and this boarding school is unique in that they have a horse program, which has kind of been present since the inception of the school. Um, so as first-year students, you come in and you have to ride. Not only do you have to ride horseback, you also have to take care of your horse and learn about the saddling, learn about tacking. Um, and learn the principles of kind of uh, horsemanship. Um, and that's something that I really kind of fell in love with while I was in school and, and something that kind of kind of transitioned me towards veterinary medicine. So in my, I guess it would be my junior year, I took a like kind of pre-vet course that was new and being offered and that was kind of led me down the road. I initially wanted to do equine medicine, um, but I have since uh, transitioned to kind of small animal which is basically companion animal, cats and dogs, uh, which is comprises probably the majority of, of veterinarians coming out into the workforce are, are interested in, in small animal and companion animal services. Um, but obviously veterinary medicine means all animals. So uh, once you have a license in veterinary medicine, you could practice on anything, but people tend to um, either stay to cats and dogs, some people do exotics. Obviously there's food animals, so, um, pigs, cows, uh, chickens, all of our kind of meat sources. Um, there are veterinarians that are responsible for taking care of those animals. Um, and uh, now I've, I've obviously, I've graduated veterinary school in 2019. I completed a small animal and surgery and medicine rotation, a rotating internship in San Diego. And currently I'm in North Carolina completing a um, surgery internship. Um, with the intent to pursue residency and specialization in surgery. So for cats and dogs with small animal surgery. So with the process of going from horses to cats and dogs in veterinary medicine, what I wanted to pose the first question as is how much more information do you have to take in in comparison? Obviously the animals are different. Is there a really big jump between like the surgery process or just knowing what the different parts of an animals and like structures are and stuff like that or is it pretty is it translate across most animals that are that have four legs and stuff like that 
Yeah, so a lot of the principles of surgery certainly translate, and we get a lot of that with human medicine as well. There's a, there are a lot of similarities in the things that we do, the procedures that we do, and the kind of uh, kind of sterile technique uh, that's involved in surgery. Um, when you're looking, when you're considering like surgery on like small animals versus uh, large animals with humans, obviously the anatomy is, is the most important thing. You need to know where things are, where the vessels are, where the arteries are, uh, where the nerves, what the, what, what, what are the components of that structure that you're looking at for whatever procedure, you need to know the, the surgical anatomy. So that's the biggest thing um, when you're kind of, when you're thinking about doing surgery on like a cat versus a dog. Certain things are fairly similar, like in terms of like orthopedics. Uh, most of the time there are certain um, differences in the, in the bones of cats versus dogs and, and obviously bones of horses are larger and their GI tract is different than, than cats and dogs as well. Um, so those are the kind of things that you, you want to, that are considerations when, when doing surgery on, on different, different animals. And then the same thing goes for humans, like the, the anatomy is, is one of the key points in there. And then obviously um, everything else that in terms of like you're, you're placing this individual or this animal under anesthesia. So there's going to be a certain amount of cardiovascular depression, or sorry, cardiovascular depression, respiratory depression. So monitoring the anesthesia and making sure the animal stays in um, an appropriate plane of anesthesia so that they don't feel pain. That's kind of the most important thing. And then recovery, um, of course, once the well, surgery is, is kind of nothing if the patient doesn't survive. So that's, that's the goal there as well. Gotcha. So even taking it from the uh, outside perspective, I guess, what has what your process been like and kind of spinning it on its head a little bit of saying, okay, now we understand from Sean's perspective or someone who is a veterinarian um, of examining, um, you know, working on animals and making sure that they have long fulfilling lives, um, whatever um, the intent is or the, you know, where they are and stuff like that. What has it been yeah. like being a black veterinarian in that in the space as a whole? What is that process or what has that experience been like thus far? Uh, yeah, I was I was actually I was when we you told me that you wanted to do this, this podcast. I actually spoke to my girlfriend um, kind of about this, and we kind of spoke about it a little bit before, kind of earlier before we started today. Um, and she's also she's also a veterinarian, um, so. And it's really for me. It I really haven't seen the the biggest the biggest difference uh, or, or biggest thing that I can see um, in the veterinary profession is kind of what we're what we're talking about today. That um, there is pretty a pretty significant dearth of of minorities within the profession. I think that it's it's improving and it's increasing. Like at least in my class, there was in terms I think in terms of like black students. There were probably like four or five okay. students in my my class of 107. Um, yeah, actually okay. six. There six. Six. Okay. Six six black students. Three of them were male, and I think three female as well. Um, so that's like, and you you compare that to, I guess, other areas and and other 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 professions and things like that, there is a pretty significant, I, was, I just did some like quick research when I was, <laughs> while I was kind of, I guess, in preparation for kind of what we were gonna talk about today. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just a quick Google search and, and it really, just, it said that there was, that of the 
67,000 veterinarians practicing in the United States, like 2% are African-American. Wow. So that's pretty significant. And that's, that I, I, I've always known that, that veterinary medicine was, was kind of considered a um, niche, kind of for, for, lack of a, for lack of a better term, like a white profession. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's something that you do see. But in terms of like how it has impacted me and my, my, uh, my career, I, I, don't, I don't feel that it has. I don't feel that there's been, I, I felt um, either, either discrimination or, or the fact that my, the color of my skin has changed any of the opportunities that I've, that I've had um, in my career. Um, for the most part, I just feel that it's, it's the representation that is, is lacking, at least um, in the veterinary profession. Um, amongst uh, kind of general practitioners as, as well as is when we see uh, specialties, um, uh, specialized uh, medicine. Um, so individuals that are pursuing residencies or, or have attained residencies um, in, different, in different fields of study. Um, I don't know how many, I, I, there's, there's not a lot of statistics about this. Um, um, but I don't know how many of them are, are of color or of minority descent. There's right. Just, it's not that many, I don't think. So even with your perspective, right, there were six black students out of the 107, correct me if I'm wrong? Yeah. Uh, in your class. So like, do you guys still stay in touch or was there a, a silent understanding between each person as far as of being a minority in the classroom environment or was it kind of like... Um, everyone was kind of to themselves, I guess. What was that experience like? I mean, like, we all, we all like, knew of each other. Obviously, we're, we're a class of 100, a very small class, we're all friends. Um, but in terms of, like, did we have a, um, we, were we a, a study group and did we, like, actively try to support each other and make sure that we were um, advancing and pulling each other up? Um, no, not necessarily. Like, obviously, I, I knew I knew all of them, and like I was friends with all with, with each of them. And um, but we also kind of associated with our own different friend groups. And um, but as a as a class, as a whole, we all definitely came together. Um, and there was like a benefits to to our relationship. I think that we that we, we all we all just kind of kind of worked together um, as a class. But we definitely recognized that there was there was few of us that were that were president. And I guess, how does that translate in your perspective? Obviously, you're doing veterinary medicine, specifically trying, uh, you know, specializing in surgery. Um, how does that reflect in your mind um, from, I guess, a third-person point of view? Um, obviously, because ne- neither neither of us are in, in the human healthcare field, per se. Um, how, do, how do you think that translates with minorities being in the healthcare industry as a whole, then? Well, I mean, in the, in the whole, I think I, I honestly don't have that much of a of a true true knowledge about how it, how it works uh, on the human side. I feel like that the I would say that it, I believe that it would be similar. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that there that if anything, it's obviously I think there there are like there are definitely more um, people of color in the human medical profession. I don't think that are the same in terms of like. Two percent of the doctors in the United States being uh, of African American descent or, or, or of any minority descent, I feel like that that number is definitely larger, just because um, I think people, I think more people want to be doctors than to be veterinarians. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that there's just kind of a different association with like wanting to be a doctor versus wanting to be a veterinarian. I think that's, I mean, I feel like in kind of in the, in the society as a whole, a doctor has always been a respected position. And I think that everybody wants that. That's, that's a position that, that regardless of what your culture or creed is, that's something that you want to be. And that's specifically like a human position. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that more people are, are going towards that and that sort of that, that desire more so than, than veterinary medicine. I think um, for that reason, I think that there's, there's likely more and then I think there's also this, I don't know if it's like a, I don't know that it's a stigma, but the kind of perception in, in potentially African-American households or black households where the, that animals are like for the outside, that they are not always thought of as, as, a, as a family member. And that's, that's a perception that's more prevalent mm-hmm. probably in, in the Caucasian culture. Um, so that's what also sort of leads people. People generally, if you're you're interested in, in becoming a veterinarian, a lot of times people are like, "Oh, I love animals. I love animals." Or like you've grown up on a farm, or you've had a lot of pets, and those are the things that kind of drive you in that direction. Um, obviously, there can be numerous other things that kind of lead people down that path, but I think those are the things that sort of um, take precedence in terms of the thought process of like wanting to pursue veterinary medicine, like. I myself, that was that was something that kind of drove me in the direction, in that direction. So, in depending on, on where you grew up and, and what your 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 household was like, that may determine whether or not you, you go for veterinary medicine. If you had pets, if you were around pets, or like what your your um, what your parents or what your family's perception of animals was in your household is definitely going to take you one way or the other, depending on what your own um, decisions are, of course. And how does how do you think um, this influences your thought process? I know that you're, uh, you know, a veterinarian now. So does that mean there's like, is there some sort of silent requirement that veterinarians are, are supposed to have their own pets, or is it kind of like I work on other people's pets and you know that that's it? I think most veterinarians do have their own pets. I think that's that's certainly not a requirement by any means, but it's something that definitely is is common like that's kind of where it goes like i've had pets i've I've had cats when i was was younger um i don't have pets right now but that's mostly because i've been moving across the country um going through a lot of different places and and it's not something that i i i want to have pets in the future once i'm like more settled and, and static in in my um environment but i do enjoy every day that i get to work with animals um there's so many adorable cats and dogs that I get to be, uh, that I could get to provide care for each and every day. And that's something that I really enjoy. Um, so I think it's something that definitely um, has impacted me and it's definitely something that uh, influenced my decision to pursue veterinary medicine. Um, but I'm definitely looking forward to having my own pets um, um, later in, in a few, few years down the road. So you mentioned something when you were talking about the stigma in, in black households as opposed to white households of, you know, your pets are, are a part of the family or not a part of the family and, you know, pets are outside and stuff like that. Do you think that stigma is changing? Um, is that like a generational thing? Um, like you mentioned, it, it could be your, you know, family structure and stuff like that because obviously everyone's story and family structures are different. But do you mm-hmm. think that there's an opportunity as a whole from a communal perspective or a cultural perspective? Do you think that there's a shift to say like, hey, you know, this is my 
cat or dog or and if you know this is a part of the family or do you think there's still going to be that separation of like the dog is outside of the cat is outside and stuff like that um i definitely think that 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 shift is definitely occurring um if it hasn't already like we've we've made the advancements that we've made in veterinary medicine and and the the quality of care that we can provide to um, animals is is amazing. Um, we do joint replacements on on animals. We do um, we do all sorts of types of in, invasive and, and minimally invasive procedures um, for animals, like on par with what what we provide in, in human medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like the ability, like during my my rotating internship, I was in a hospital in San Diego, and and we we did. We did hip replacements. We did brain surgery. We did um, wow. spinal surgery. Like we do, like people pay for chemotherapy, um, advanced techniques. So like you, if your dog comes in and suddenly um, is a acute um, pelvic limb, like acute pelvic limb weakness, or somebody starting his legs stop working, that's associated with a disc disease. And in order to diagnose that, you have to do an MRI. That's mm-hmm. the gold standard to determine um, if there is any damage or abnormalities within the spinal cord. And that's a $3,000 a pop uh, imaging um, diagnostic. So that's something that that's like veterinary medicine can be be expensive, but we're able to provide these sorts of um, imaging, advanced imaging diagnostics for animals to, for their care. So like, I think in terms of the cultural perspective, um, in in the area that I I've been in, I, I, I at least my where my rotating internship was, um, it was a very affluent area, and, and and the majority of the clientele that I saw come in were uh, were likely Caucasian um, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but that does that's the the thing that was always amazing to me is that it really didn't matter whether or not people had the money to uh, like like spending $3,000 wasn't a big deal to them, but there's still plenty of other people who would spend $10,000, $15,000 and didn't have it. Mm. They didn't have that, that they had to either use uh, care credit, which is like an insurance uh, opportunity. So you can basically give you additional money so you can provide that that care um, and you can pay it back, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of people who did very expensive procedures um, that didn't necessarily have have all the money in the bank that needed assistance. So I think that generationally, either I, generationally and, and even across cultural boundaries, like we we're cons- the consideration of uh, pets as a part of the family and the willingness to do whatever is necessary um, for them is, is there more so than it has been in the in previous years what do you think or what you know as far as having pets i know we've had discussions um off you know offhand about you know people having dogs or cats or whatever pets they have what are some things you would say um you know as we have this platform and you know we're able to speak to to our own community as well as the broader um societal community as a whole what are some things that people need to understand or should be mindful of when choosing a pet or having pets and um, some of the things that go into, um, you know, choosing a veterinarian and like understanding 
all of those things as well and how they um, are connected. Uh, I think when when you when you make the decision to 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 have a pet, I think that it's it's important that you recognize that you are responsible for that animal's care. That anything anything can happen. Um, animals are can be very unpredictable at times, and obviously we we want to have them because they they're adorable, they're cute, they they provide uh, a added benefit like an emotional benefit uh to our lives that that a lot of times other people um either can't understand or or just don't or, or it's, it's just a different situation um when you have a relationship that you have with an animal versus versus another human being um and that's something that that we love and, and that's something that like, everybody um, a lot of people really want and when we Think about maintaining that relationship and also providing um, the best care because animals can get sick they can have any sort of disease that a human can have um, being able to provide for them and knowing what the what the concerns might be for that animal going forward like not only do you have to feed it but you should like you have to feed it you have to take care of it and then you should be able if, if need be if it if the circumstances arise that it needs some sort of um, hospitalization or it needs some sort of veterinary care, it needs its vaccines and shots and things like that. Those are the things that <clears throat> a lot of times uh, may go missed uh, that people don't think about before. They just like get this cute puppy and be like, oh, I want this puppy or I want this cute kitten because it's so adorable. Um, and they may not fully recognize or, or understand that what are what actually goes into um, having that animal and, and caring for it um, to the best uh, of its uh, the best of that person's ability and and to the best care for that animal so um, when you're I guess when you're selecting a veterinarian you definitely want to like find somebody who you trust and who, who you you feel has um, a lot of times at least in, in veterinary school when we when we talked about the like client patient relationship it's it's a partnership and it's you should find somebody who you uh, who you trust and who was who's willing to partner with you and, and come up with the best situation for for your pet. A lot of times, there's there's gold standard care for like what needs to be done with what is the best what is the best option given the disease process or the suspected diagnosis. Like what are what can we do? And then other times there's things that like what can we do right now? What can we provide? What can we what kind of care can we provide for this animal um, that will be beneficial? for them going forward, but also um, it's something that's affordable for the, the pet owner. Um, and so sometimes we can, we can, there's always things that can be done um, to try and help, um, to help the, help the owner care for the pet if the situation arises. But those are the things that we, we want to be aware of and be, we want, I guess, pet owners to be aware of uh, when they, decide to purchase a pet or decide to have and uh, care for a pet um, that those are the things that you want to be be concerned about it's like can I can I provide for this animal in the way that it that it that it needs to be if if the worst happens like not only the best of times but in, if something happens and, and this animal either like runs out into a car runs out and gets hit by a car and then you there there are kind of vet bills that are associated with that yeah. and I think a lot of times, for the most part, um, owners are, are willing to to do that, and I think that's important, and that's something that you have to 
uh, be aware of when you're, it's kind of the same thing when you have, when you have a child, like you, like when you have that child, you, um, you have to care for it and you have to be able to provide, put food on the plate, food on the table for it, uh, and give it everything that it, that it needs. And that's, it's, it goes the same way with, with our, our pets. So I think with, with that responsibility as well, um, how is it being, or what has your experience been like as far as um, with the veterinarian field? What has it been like dealing with, you know, still trying to provide that gold star service that you guys were, that you were talking about um, through a global health crisis like we're going through right now? Has there been an increase of um, sterilizing environments or has it been pretty much the same thing because you've all you know it's a consensus across the industry or you know the location that you work at where everyone's like hey like we always make sure we clean everything and make sure everything is sterilized so we're not you know we're minimizing germs and stuff like that what is that process or experience been like so far yeah so that's that's been pretty interesting um and and the reality is like it's kind of has changed the way um veterinary care is is done at least in terms of client interactions like now we basically do all of our interactions with clients over the phone um the the pet comes in and we do our exam and then we call the client and and say hey this is what's going on these are the tests that need to be done this is what i this is what i think is going on this is what diagnostics we should do this is the type of treatment these are like this is the estimate these are all the things that go forward whereas before like you had more the animal and the client was the animal was there the client was there and um and that's kind of how how it worked um it's kind of weird like now i don't remember it's like it's it's been hasn't been that long but it feels like forever since we had done it the traditional way where you were speaking to clients in the room and now we're um talking to clients over the phone and and through maths and things of that nature. So that's been the biggest impact on the veterinary profession. And in terms of kind of with this global pandemic and and kind of loss of revenue for for clients, um, it's been surprising that like, if anything, veterinary services have increased um, rather than dropping off. Like a lot of veterinary medicine is kind of a, kind of it's, it's it's a part of your disposable income really when you're having a pet is part of your disposable income it's like something that's like i can i can afford to do this and i can afford to afford to provide veterinary care and that's something that needs to be budgeted for mm-hmm. um that's something that especially if you're you're trying to care you have kids you have a family you're trying to put food on the table your things that go that's one of the things that may tend to drop off unfortunately is is pet care um but surprisingly at least in the areas where I have been, like we have seen, there's been a significant kind of uptick in veterinary services. Our, and during my rotating internship where I just finished, like our veterinary, our ER was constantly busy, was inundated um, with patients, um, basically throughout, uh, even throughout this time, even more so than it was before um, this sort of global pandemic hit, which is impressive that, that we're seeing more clients and more services more so than than before um and then i mean obviously the same thing with, with kind of human medicine in terms of like we we all of those um personal protective gear um like gowns and scrubs and gloves and all those things like those are the same things that we need as well so initially at the beginning of this 
um, uh, the beginning of the crisis, like we were having, like we had to cut back on elective procedures. We decreased um, uh, appointments and like kind of focused everything on the ER because that was kind of main service that needed to be provided for. Um, but as things kind of calmed down and went back to normal, like everything sort of picked up and we had to go back like at a certain point, like the hospital was losing money. So we were like, we have to go back and start providing elective procedures. We needed to go back and start um, doing things to kind of keep our hospital um, profitable and keep and keep it and keep it keep it. So we were able to continue to provide services for for all the, for the all the animals in the area. So um, in terms of uh, obviously we installed policies similar to the human medicine where like everybody in the hospital is wearing masks you like we're always always washing our hands and things of that nature that's that's an important point um, but just in terms of our, our kind of interactions within the hospital within hospital personnel like those are the things that we had to put in place in protocols in terms of um, keeping everything clean and and safe essentially and, and making sure that it's a safe working environment for not only the animals but but especially for for the for our workers um and the doctors and, and staff there um that's that was kind of an important thing and one of the main changes that we had to put in place yeah i mean just the way you were describing it of having to scale back in the beginning where you know i think you know a lot of us were you know stuck in the house and many of us still are is um it's an interesting contract like contraction that you were mentioning where everything kind of slimmed up and then it you know retracted back to the original um capacity where you guys were like hey we gotta make these adjustments and make sure we get these things done um as far as having pets and choosing pets are there is there anything recommendation wise where you would say like it's better to get um i know you've mentioned before like it's better to get dogs that are more than one species or breed like mixed mixed breed dogs have less health concerns i think is what you had mentioned to me before um is that do you have any other recommendations similar to that where people you know if they're like hey i want to get a cat i want to get a dog you know what are some of those recommendations you would say as far as choosing an animal um is there anything you know breed related or um temperament or something like that where it's like hey like i learned this in school or something that you've noticed over time that people should be mindful of moving forward um I, I think that it's that it's you can get whatever breed that you decide like i think that there everybody wants it has a particular breed of preference even among veterinarians um in terms of like what they like whether it's the temperament whether it's the appearance um like those are there's certain things that you that you just like about a particular animal and i think that that's if, if that's your selection then i think that's that's great um, I think the veterinarian's job and, and, the, and the and the best kind of clients to in, in, in terms of client education is that there are for specific pre um, specific dogs that have been that are purebred. So you say like gold retrievers or like um, King Charles Cavaliers or German Shepherds. Like those dogs have been have been inbred um, to maintain their bloodlines um, and maintain their. Um, appearance and maintain all the things that people love about them. Um, so with that inbreeding, 
leads to kind of genetic changes and, and kind of genetic with those. And that can lead to like predispositions to specific diseases or congenital abnormalities um, and things of that nature. So when we look at like golden retrievers um, and, and other dogs, like they just have particular predispositions just because of their, their body type. Um, or just because of their genetics. Um, so if you look at like little Dotsons or wiener dogs, like those dogs because of their conformation are predisposed to this disease. So they can have um, disc, disc herniation. So in, in medical terms, like that's where the, you have uh, your disc essentially ruptures and they can cause this compression of the spinal cord, which can lead to uh, loss of signal transmission, particularly um, they're prone to kind of their mid-back um, lumbar thoracic spine. Um, so that means they can basically have weakness in their back limbs. And if that progresses, um, that can lead to loss of sensation, loss of motor, and, and, and if, they're, if it's not treated, um, then that can, they can basically be kind of paraplegic. Um, so with those dogs, and, and that's something that is likely to occur um, with those dogs, that's something that they're fairly predisposed to. Um, and the good thing about it is that it's something that can be corrected, although surgically, so that that is, like, if you're going to get a, a, a Dotson, then you may have to pay, you may have a, if you, if that, if the, the, there's, a there's a potential predisposition for this disease, and if that does occur, then surgery for that, for surgical correction, if it's amenable to surgical correction, typically it is, especially if it's acute, um, can anywhere, can range anywhere between, depending on where you are in the country, like seven to $10,000 to surgically correct that. And the, and the good thing about that surgery is that they typically recover. There's like a 90, 95% recovery rate and they can recover their full motor and, and be kind of be able to live normal life as a dog, be able to walk and, and urinate and eat and, and take care of themselves for the most part and have a good quality of life. Um, but what I would say to somebody who's interested in getting a Dawson, that that's something that they should either have insurance or, or plan for, be knowledgeable about that this is something that can occur. Uh, so that's a decision that you need to have in the back of your mind when you say like, I really want this dog because it's this particular breed. And that's, that kind of goes for the majority of, of, of breeds where you there's something, there may be something that you need to be concerned about. Like, like I mentioned, King Charles Valiers, they, are predisposed to heart disease so they will get a murmur and that that's something that is going to be progressive and that's going that's a disease process that um, doesn't have a, a cure um, but it's something that is kind of progressive and can be insidious and requires like medications doctor's visits uh, diagnostics and things like that to kind of provide that extra care to keep them uh, having a fulfilling life so I think that's the biggest thing that I would that I would say. And like, I, I have another friend who recently um, was looking into getting a dog, and they sort of asked me the exact same question that you were asking. And I and I told them that essentially what I said is like, you whatever dog that you want to get, let me know, and I'll tell you what are the things you need to know about this before you go in, so you have your eyes wide open, so you, you're not caught off guard or, or surprised by anything that that happens down the road. Obviously. Um, comment about um, getting a mixed breed dog like that's that's something too like those dogs that have they have multiple different genetics they're not just predisposed to they don't have bloodlines that have um, inherent
inherent genetic predispositions to either diseases or conformational abnormalities, which may need to be corrected um, down the road. Um, so you could say that they're like least likely to get those predisposed genetic diseases, but any dog is, is can get any disease. Um, so by getting a, kind of a mixed breed dog doesn't mean you're, you're safe. Um, and also like those dogs, you can they can still have traumatic events. They can still contract infectious disease. They still can have traumas or things like that, which um, will, will require treatment and care. So um, I would just say that when you're, when you're thinking about getting a dog, the biggest concern is that like, do you, can you afford it? <laughs> Not yeah. only do you, do, you, do you, will you provide the dog or provide the animal with, with the love and care and, and com compassion, um, that they that they deserve, but can you can you afford to keep them and and provide them and, and keep them healthy and provide them with all the, the necessary like preventative medicines and um, and give them a good health and good quality of life that that since they can't do it themselves, um, they depend on that for you. So from you, so that's something that I would that I would say that that is I guess important to me when somebody is um, considering. And I guess, uh, you know, one of my final questions that I wanted to pose to you, Sean, is um, I know, you know, we, what we were talking about in the beginning is just your, your journey and, you know, being in the veterinarian field um, for any person that is a minority that wants to get into the veterinarian field. Is there any um, book recommendations or school recommendations that you would make as far as like, what are some things that they need to understand about going from you know high school to college or college to graduate school or veterinarian school like what are some of the things that you would suggest for other minorities that want to get into this space and be a part of the space what are some um, suggestions or tips you would have as far as going through the journey to get from point a to point b um i think that in terms of with i think with I'm not even sure if this is the same with medical school, but I'm assuming it's the same, or, or pretty much it's any with any professional or, or journey that you want to take. You want to get experience in that space, um, and you want to, so you can make a clear determination that this is this is what you want to do. Um, and for veterinary school in, in particular, I'm not sure if this. I think it's the same with medical school. I'm not 100 sure. Um, but you, they do require hours, like volunteer hours, or hours of within veterinary practice, um, either working, either volunteer hours, or working within a hospital, or doing working at a shelter, or doing something involving animals, involving veterinary medicine. Um, they, you, it's required to have a certain number of hours. It depends. It varies um, based on every school, with a minimum number. Obviously, having more is always better. Uh, so that's what I would say. Like, if you if this is something that you're that you're interested in, I think you should definitely get some experience um, in there, so you can confirm like that's what you want to do and what you, what you have, kind of confirm that that's what you what you want to do. Um, most veterinary schools, most of the time, um, like prospective candidates for veterinary school, they typically already have their bachelor's degree or some other higher education, um, but that's not necessarily a requirement. Um, there are plenty of people, there's, you just have to fulfill the prerequisites. Um, a lot of times those include a degree in like biology. Most pre-vet students have a biology degree or some sort of um, health science degree, but that's not a requirement either. You just have to fulfill the science prerequisites. So I would say um, definitely getting 
doing well in those classes. It's, it's a competitive, uh, I think medicine in all forms and fashions is, is a competitive environment. Um, so doing well in, in those classes and, and not only that, but getting the experience and having, um, having a, an, an acquaintance or a mentor who's, who's a veterinarian, somebody who can, can guide and direct you and kind of help you down that path and give you, the, give you some guidance. Um, and perspective um, when you're kind of trying to make that, you know, that's the goal that you're pursuing. Um, in terms of like, schools, then I think there's, we have, I think there's, the number of veterinary schools in in United States has increased since I uh, started school. There's, there's one in Arizona now, and then you also have the kind of Caribbean island schools, which have veterinary schools and medical schools as well so if anything there's there's more slots and, and seats open available it's, and in terms of which programs you want to go I think it's a, you just got to pick a program that that you like obviously like visiting those programs and you just want to find an environment where you feel like you can gain the most knowledge and that will be the most beneficial to you so ultimately that's that's what matters there's definitely programs that are more prestigious like just like anywhere else in the world um, but what ultimately determines your success is, is the, um, the desire that you have to do what you do and, and your personal um, goal and, and drive to um, achieve those things. Like if, you'll, if, you go to, if you go to an accredited veterinary school, then you will learn the things that you need to learn. Um, or they will teach you, they will kind of guide and direct you in terms of things that you need to learn. But there's so much, so much to learn. So um, even once you get out of school, there's still there's still learning and, and growing. And so um, it's definitely regardless of whether you're in a um, a didactic environment where they're teaching you and saying this is going to be on the test, or whether you're in a kind of PBL environment like where I was, where you're you're more kind of shown where you need to go and, and, and instead of like taken by the hand to say this is these are the these are the things that are going to be on the test you're more so to more show so more show more so oh my goodness um said like this these are this what do you need to think about what do you need to know like you need to know the anatomy in order to do in order to do um, like a particular procedure like what do you need to you don't know you need to know the anatomy you need to know um the physiology you need to know like the pathophysiology these are all the areas that you um, have to have an understanding of in order to kind of be a good veterinarian in order to answer this case um, so i think that anybody who, who wants to get into veterinary medicine or just like any other field um, it's, it's about the time and effort that you, you kind of take to, to get yourself in there um, there's so many opportunities out there, for sure. And then my final question, Sean, I know you first found your love for veterinary medicine through horses. So last question, uh, what are the chances within the next you know, few years of you um, riding, riding a horse again, or do you plan on having a horse at some point on your own? Or was it kind of like, I did that then and I'm done with it? Or do you still have that same appreciation for horses now, now that you're working with smaller animals? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I, I still have a, a strong appreciation and, and love of, of horses, and that's definitely something I look forward to getting back into, um, adding back into my life when I, when I 
once I've kind of completed the necessarily completed journey. Why when I have the freedom to to do that and, and make those decisions for me right now. But that's definitely something that I guess was my my first love in veterinary medicine, and, and I don't know that I'll be treating any horses anytime soon. Um, but definitely. Um, riding horses I would definitely look forward to doing that later on in my in my life absolutely cool well uh, thanks everyone for joining another episode of the daydreaming about black podcast uh thank you Sean for being a guest on the show this week really appreciate your time um, anything you wanted to add at the end um no I think I think that this is this is something that we like I think we're looking for representation everywhere for, for our minorities and for um, people of color. So I mean that's that's something that I would I would like to see um, more so in veterinary medicine. I think that's it's a place where we're going, um, and I hope that we get there. Honestly, awesome. Well, thanks everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode, and we'll be back soon.